I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode is supported by the Jib Foundation. Melbourne locals are not impressed with Anthony Albanese this morning. This project will transform the way that Melbournians can get around this city. It's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. It's I don't know. He didn't seem like he was Maybe laughing. it's just a bogan. Embrace yeah. it. We're here trying to speak to you. And but, but you're a tool for Murdoch. No, I'm not. I'm an employee of Sky News. And I know Australians know that I can be a bit of a bulldozer. Scott Morrison has today said he's a bulldozer. A bulldozer wrecks things. I'm a builder. Jan Fran has issues breaking down the election one issue at a time. Brought to you by Irrational Fear. Hello and welcome to Jan Fran has issues. Yes, this is the podcast where we break down the election one issue at a time. And today's issue, my goodness, it's a very special issue because it's very close to Dan Illich's heart. It should be close to yours too, Jan. It should be close (laughs) to every one of yours. Your heart is in a place, your heart is melting. (laughs) What is the issue that we're going to be looking at on today's episode? The issue we're going to be talking about is climate change, which is actually a pretty big issue for this audience, uh, Jan Fran. I'll have you know, the audience that listens to you. I do know. Well, actually, climate change is a pretty big issue for quite a lot of Australians. The quiet Australians, the loud Australians, the rural Australians, city Australians. It's um, super interesting to see that uh, climate change is at the top of the list of the ABC Compass issues, yet it seems to be at the bottom list of any major party wanting to talk about it. Well, I think the thing that I like about you when it comes to climate change is you're all about using the power that you have to try and make a positive change around this issue, correct? Well, this is it because we all need to do it. We all need to be working, using our powers where we are, 
with the communities we're in to try and make climate change an issue, to try and get action on climate change because we've only got a few years left before we're all living in a sauna, baby. <laughs> and, you know, some people, are, some people are excited about that, you know. Some people love that. I'm not a big fan of that myself, you know. It's going to get hot. It's going to get wet. It's going to get dry. It's going to get crusty. It's going to get fiery. It's going to get, oh, it's going to get all the things all at once all the time. And we just need to try and mitigate that and fix that ASAP. So we're running out of time. So we all need to use our own powers where we are to do more for the climate, to make climate and election issue. And I made that commit to myself a couple of years ago. And I said, right, I'm going to really focus a rational fear on climate. And I said, right, I'm going to buy the biggest billboard in Times Square. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's all up to everyone where they are in their own communities to do their little bit. And right Mm. now, in the next couple of weeks, well, the next 10 days is going to be a really important time to kind of make those voices heard. Yeah, well, you're not the only one that's made that commitment. Um, A little bit later in the show, you guys are going to be hearing from two people who have also made a very big commitment to try and get some action on climate change, albeit they've done it in two very different ways. Um, Mm. We'll meet each of those people in just a little bit. Before we get to our main issue, though, as always, we like to take issue with something, something that happened during the week, Dan. (laughs) What what bee is floating around your bonnet Oh, today? this is really buzzing in my ears right now. I tell you what, there's a clip from Sunrise uh, with Stuart Robert going on there to talk about a, talk up a brand new program, a brand new government scheme to do something that already exists. Well, the Coalition has pledged $5 million to develop a new technology skills passport. It would provide a digital record of workers' skills and qualifications and help people identify further training opportunities or credentials to progress their careers. Oh, from the guy that brought you the COVID Safe app and RoboDebt comes Robo LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I can't wait for the government to, to create LinkedIn for all of us. It already exists, Stuart Robert. LinkedIn, it's also, there's an offline version. It's called a resume. Sure, it's got a fancy <laughs> French name, but a lot of people in English have a resume and people people print them out and take them to job interviews. It, it exists. It, we don't need this. Hang on, hang on. Let's just, can we give the minister just a little bit of time to explain exactly what this thing is going to do? Look, it might be different. Here he is, Stuart Robert, Minister for Employment. What do you got? So who's going to benefit? Exactly who across Australia? Well, imagine an Australian that's done one year at university, a few vocational courses. They've done a a private sector course. All of that reflected, all of it covered by a a, a common uh, credit point, if you like, so it can all be understood. And then you can simply see, if I did this one extra course, I can get that qualification. If I upgraded that, I could get that qualification. Every Australian will benefit. Literally, no Australian is going to benefit from this. It is, as you say, very much linked in with a sprinkle of Google and quite possibly an offline paper resume. Like, it's those three things put together. I don't know if we need this, my good sir. No, no, we definitely don't need it. And there is also something very similar that exists at a federal level too. It's called a USI, which is a unique student identifier, and that is where you can actually attach all your qualifications to. But you you actually don't need this. And, oh, it, it totally baffles me as to who is going to get this contract. It's like, is it going to be one of Stuart Roberts's mates? Is it going to be a donor? Is it going to be the guy who created Hello World? Is it going to be a, is it, is it a fossil fuel company looking to kind of get out of fossil fuels to get into tech? Is this what's going to happen? Is it just someone who is a, a donor to the Liberal Party that's going to get this gig? 
well, keep a close eye because it's $5 million and someone looks set to get it. And if it does go the way the COVID safe app went, um, that'd be to one of the circles of hell because the COVID <laughs> safe app cost, get this, it cost $9 million and it identified just 17 close contacts. That's per a Channel 9 report. Mm, Jan, but what price can you put on getting COVID? You can't, can you? I mean, you can't make everything free. You can't make, you can't make rat tests free, can you? You know what? I would not price 17 unique close contacts at $9 million. That's, 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 I've done, I've crunched the numbers. They don't add up, Dan. Uh, well, I'm going to start a brand new app myself. It's going to allow you to send a 140 character message to anyone you have the phone number to. And it's going to be called Message Sender. And it's going to be funded by the federal government. I'm going to take $10 million for it. I'll take that. Thank you very much, Stuart <laughs> Robert. Jan Fran has issues. Okay, on to our key issue of the episode, and I would say of the last few decades, climate change. Uh, A lot of Australians care about it. Not making a huge dent on the campaign trail this year. And as we know, in the last, well, decade and a half, Dan, we haven't exactly covered ourselves in glory when it comes to tackling climate change now, have we? Well, first of all, Jan, can I just say, if climate change is real, why am I wearing a jumper today? <laughs> Let's talk, no one's talking about global cooling, No, are no they? one's talking about global cooling. No, you're absolutely right. Over the last 20 years or 30 years, well, really since Bob Hawke, every single prime minister has met the knife um, due to the nefarious activities of our fossil fuel industry. And that is a well-stated fact. Anytime there has been any kind of climate action implemented by the government, it's been undone by either the next government or with someone mm-hmm. from the right faction within their own party. So it is... Uh, The the both major parties basically have failed us on climate for a good three decades now. So here is what we are asking. If politics and politicking and our parliamentary system can get us into this hot mess, can it also get us out? Mm. We haven't been very good at tackling climate change now, have we? You know how we had six prime ministers in a decade, an accomplishment that got us labelled the coup capital of the world? Yeah, that was over climate policy. We are consistently ranked among the lowest performing developed nations in the world when it comes to cutting carbon emissions or having a clear climate action plan or weaning ourselves off fossil fuels. I mean, Australians want climate action. Poll after poll shows this. The states want it. Heck, New South Wales has already invested $32 billion in renewable energy. Big business wants action. The business council's on board with net zero emissions by 2050. Our biggest airline is on board. The bloody Minerals Council is on board. So why have our governments, plural, sucked so hard at tackling this issue? Well, the thing that has gotten in the way of federal politics is federal politics. A toxic combination of factional fighting, personality clashes, free collection results, rules that allow parties to just topple a PM, although the Labor Party did change that, malleable media, fossil fuel lobbies and attack dog opposition leaders. None more effective than Tony Abbott. Do you remember the carbon tax, the thing that sunk the Gillard government? I mean... She did say, There will be no carbon tax under the government I lead. But who could have predicted a hung parliament at the 2010 election? This is where 
Neither party got a majority 76 lower house seats. This would lead Labor to negotiate with the crossbench and ultimately to this. Prime Minister Julia Gillard today unveiled plans to introduce a fixed price on carbon emissions by June next year, with a transition to an emissions trading scheme after that. Yeah. Just listen, though, to the way that Julia Gillard talks about climate change and emissions. I'm determined to do it because climate change is real. Uh, We have never before lived with so many people on the planet emitting so much carbon pollution. If you put a price on something, then people will use less of it. Well, we didn't put a price on carbon because, uh uh-oh, what's this? Opposition leader Tony Abbott described the announcement as an utter betrayal of Labor's election commitment not to introduce a carbon tax and vowed to fight it every second of every day. And that he did, my friends. Utter betrayal of the Australian people. And if the Australian people could not trust the Prime Minister on this, they can't trust her on anything. But she said it and she will be judged by it, Mr Speaker. This is a a Labor-Green carbon tax and it's going to drive up prices, threaten jobs and do nothing at all for the environment. Any carbon tax regime, everyone will pay. It doesn't mean a great big new tax that just for starters will drive your power bill up by $300 a year. We're not talking about changing it. We're talking about scrapping it. Can I make that crystal clear? It was political desperation. It was political panic, which led her to make a barefaced lie. This Prime Minister is not Frank. She is a fraud. This tax is all about making the essentials of modern life more expensive. We won't be able to turn on our air conditioner or our heater. Yeah. Tony went hard on the carbon tax, especially about it driving up the cost of living. Let me tell you the reason, though, that I'm bringing all of this up. It's because years later, his chief of staff, Peter Credlin, made the most extraordinary admission about that time. Here she is on Sky in 2017. Along comes a carbon tax. It wasn't a carbon tax, as you know. It was many other things in nomenclature terms. We made it a carbon tax. We made it a fight about the hip pocket and not about the environment. Oh, I'm sorry, what? It wasn't a carbon tax? You just made it up? So all that shit about not being able to turn on your air conditioner and petrol prices? That was brutal retail politics. Wow. Imagine if we curbed our carbon emissions 11 years ago instead of having the same conversation over and over again. Thanks, politics. Here is the question, though. If politics can fuck things up, can politics fix things? The so-called Teal Independents seem to think so. They are a loosely affiliated bunch of candidates that are running on a strong climate action platform in a bid to unseat moderate Liberals. They are posing a real threat in some inner city seats, such as Sydney's Wentworth or Melbourne's Goldstein. Their aim is to stack the crossbench and hold a united voice when it comes to climate policy. In the event of a hung parliament, for example, the crossbench, very powerful. Nothing gets done without them, as we've seen. So 
Is this the answer to getting the strong climate action we need from our federal government? Yes, is it the answer indeed? Well, at least one person thinks that it might be the answer and that person is a gentleman by the name of Alex Dyson who you might have heard, um, if you're chuggy enough like me, <laughs> on, on Triple J, on Breakfast with Tom and Alex. If you're a boomer, you may have heard of Alex Dyson uh, <laughs> from the times when radio broadcasting was a thing. Or if you're a great-grandfather, you may have heard from your grandchildren and a guy today at the pre-polling Voted for me after his whole life voting for Labor. He's given oh, me a crack. So, fantastic. Great. Alex Dyson. Go. Well done. Congratulations. Alex Dyson, welcome to you. Running as an independent for the Victorian seat of one. And how's the, how's the campaigning going? You're running as an independent. Um, yeah, give us a bit of, a, a, of an update as to how the last few weeks have been for you. Look, it's been pretty intense. Tonight is the sixth candidates forum. Um, that I will have been to. Portland is the venue. It's about four hours west of Melbourne. Uh, but the, the vibe is good. Like people are, are really getting around it. Like it is interesting, the problem with getting bigger because I got 10% in the last election uh, running as an independent. Mm. This time around we're sort of gunning for more. 10% and you weren't even really trying last election. I know I did it with my eyes closed last time. No, uh, <laughs> it was it was a, a a good attempt, but it was a very short. Like I got my forms in eight minutes before the AEC cut off, and was a bit of a surprise <laughs> candidate. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, this time around, been been doing it for six months. So many meetings, hundreds of people. So the getting the the face and the name out there for people who uh, didn't like to get up and gurn hard listening to Triple J every morning. Um, it's <laughs> it's really um it's been really nice. Uh, as someone who, you know, is your friend and has seen you kind of go through this bit of a, a trajectory, uh, you seem to be working so hard at it and uh, it is so admirable. Um, my, my question is, like, are you exhausted? Did you think it was going to be this hard the second time round? Like, I think it's a similarly exhausting to last time, but the the more momentum you get and the more conversation you have, the more people are voting for you, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is excellent and your spirits get buoyed. But then as the other candidates and parties start noticing, there's also more things to attack and there's more interesting comments and there's more people who know your name and then want to, you know, bring down the campaign or ask. Uh, what kind of attacks have they been going back into the Triple J archive from like um, 2009 <laughs> and picking out something obscure that you and Tom Ballard might have made a joke about? No, well, the time that I turned off the Venga Boys, uh, we like to party halfway through getting me the nickname <laughs> Rat Dog um, has not been brought up by many of the um, candidates so far. But I was even on just Facebook last night and the United Australia Party were calling me a stooge because I'd accepted uh, $30,000 and then another $30,000 from Climate 200 to help me run on an integrity and climate and respect for women basis. And, um, yeah, you just sort of like write out a response and then delete it and go, nah, there's no point of even getting into it. But it takes up the mental the mental space of trying to say, yeah, well, are we all, like, even just go, okay, I am a stooge. Are you also a stooge? Are the other parties stooges? Yeah, you just find it, yeah, very difficult. You start having these semantic conversations mm. with um, with people rather than how do we make Australia better together kind of conversations. Yeah, I remember having a chat with you about this, Alex Dyson, some years ago, 
and uh, you actually flag. You said, "Oh, there's there's this sort of like idea floating around of, you know." And and you sort of said, "How would you feel about this, Jan? Of of you know potentially like running as an tried to I tried to get you to run. <laughs> you tried to get me to run. <laughs> and I think I said that the short answer was no, and the long answer was fuck no. Yeah, <laughs> that was how I responded to that. Yeah. But you you know this this idea has been kicking around for some time, and you actually went. And did it. You did it. You've done it two years in a row. You're doing it again um, in the lead up to this election. So why? Why Why are you running? And does that make um, you a fundamentally better human being than me? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I just, I found it very, I don't know, pe- people don't listen to you. Like they just don't listen to you. I mean, you've been, policy hasn't been changed because of the France. <laughs> you know, Greta Thunberg has made a lot of noise and has got a great following. Nothing gets done. I'll have you know, you know Jan's won a Walkley and before she won that Walkley, there had a, she had a swinging door that couldn't be held open. But thanks to that Walkley, <laughs> that has changed the position <laughs> of that door. That door yeah. can no longer swing open willy-nilly in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> That's but wind power, my friend. Like watching the politicians say to school children walking out of school and begging them to do something about climate change, have better targets, you know, wow. invest more heavily. And they say, well, they really should be learning in school. They don't get listened to. So yeah. I'm saying I'm running as independent. You can vote for me on these particular things. I, I feel more comfortable doing that or even some of the videos putting out just saying do your research and vote for someone who <laughs> represented because just not voting in our own interest or voting through political inertia I find extremely frustrating. Mm. And so on some level you must feel like the the frame of politics, out, the way our political system is, is still the best way to bring about change for Australia. Is that right? Um, it, the best way, that's interesting. I think it is, yeah, it's probably the quickest way to actually make change because I've been using my keep cup, I've been trying to have shorter showers, <laughs> you know, I've been... Um, recycling for many years but unless we have an actual target and we hit the source of our biggest emissions we're not going to get there and unfortunately the private sector is doing the stuff like I was having I was out on a beef farm the other day and uh, talking with someone who's been working with the beef council and they've got a net zero target for 2030. You know they want to bring. Oh wow surprise surprise (laughs) our government doesn't even have that. Yeah and so they're getting dragged along it's like yeah, what did you do to do that? I mean, it's a group project. You've been out at the bloody games arcades while we've been doing the work. You come back and take credit for the project. It's unbelievable. For those who are listening who are concerned about climate change, like can we just go through, I know, Dan, you are like the, somehow the the storer of all climate information. I don't think I've met anyone who knows more, who is more of a climate generalist than Dan Illich. Like you have facts and figures, my dude, that people do not have. Or maybe I have no, not met No, you need them. to meet a few more people. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get out more. That's what you're saying. Okay, that's fair. But can, can we just go like quickly through what the Labor Party is proposing, what the, what the Coalition's proposing, what the Greens are proposing, and then, Alex, where you fit yep. into all of this as an independent? Okay, let's take a quick look. There's a couple of things to think about here. There's net zero uh, and then there's the targets to get to net zero. So the Liberal Party, the Coalition, they're promising net zero by 20. 2050. They have no interim target. There's no 2030 target or no 2035 target. Their emissions reduction target
target is 26%, 26 to 28% on 2005 levels for around 2030. Um, but that's a really old target. To put it in perspective, the, the government is saying that they've reduced uh, emissions by 20%, but in fact, actual emissions have gone up by 4%. Uh, their way of reducing emissions for this net zero is through hypothetical drawdown technologies like carbon capture storage <laughs> and ways to suck carbon out of the sky, which haven't been invented yet. Their actual emissions uh, created at home should go down, but what's called our scope three emissions, emissions that we export, are actually going to expand because according to their 2050, net zero by 2050 target, uh, the export emissions are going to go up for some reason. So it's this weird thing where they're like, no, 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 we're going to export more fossil fuels, but somehow we're going to take all the carbon out of the sky and put it in a little can and put it underground. They have this slogan called technology, not taxes, but in the latest budget, they cut nearly a billion dollars over the next three years for ARENA and the Clean Energy Finance Corporation that is, the Renewable Energy Technology Agency is responsible for renewable technology. So that is that is the coalition. Okay, um, what's Labor doing? All right, Labor. Labor have a plan. They've got an interesting plan. Net zero by 2050. Their 2030 target is 43% on 2005 levels. That is pretty good. Uh, a lot of scientists say we actually need it to be around 70%, but that is better than what Liberals have actually got, which is currently zero. Um, they've got this strategy called Powering Australia, which is basically electrifying everything. They've got a national EV, electric vehicle strategy. They're going to do a whole bunch of grid upgrades to the grid, so uh, it makes it easier for renewables technology and renewables to kind of enter the grid. Uh, and they've, they're promising 640,000 jobs to do that. Will it line up with the Paris Agreement? Maybe, but probably not. In Australians still needs to do a lot more. Okay, the Greens. You'd think the Greens have a much more progressive climate strategy here. What is it? It's in the name. So they've got net zero by 2035. Very, very aggressive. Clean energy generation, rapid transition from coal and gas by 2030, uh, and a huge, um, a huge campaign to move workers through a just transition through pensions. So that is interesting. Like Labor doesn't really even talk about just transition, um, but Greens are. The Greens have kind of got this huge plan to kind of move workers out of these industries, uh, either on pensions or retraining for renewables. Um, they are also proposing something strange, 100 million tonnes of negative emissions by 2040, but there's no actual way to do it yet. So they are also kind of playing in the funny funny we thoughts and prayers space the Liberals are, but they are promising 100 million tonnes of negative emissions. That is, Australia will be in charge of sucking out 100 million tonnes out of the sky of carbon. Uh, that, to do that, 800,000 jobs, and it will meet the Paris targets. Okay, so they're the major minor parties Alex, where where are you? Where do you fit into this equation? Um, I come at it from a talkback background. Okay, being in radio, I get on there and I say, "What song would you like to request?" Or how are we going to transition to renewables as quickly as possible? And so what I've been doing is trying to talk to people like Danny Lynch. <laughs> I called a uh, an energy expert from ANU and talked through. It's like, how are we going to do that? And just they were so knowledgeable. It's one of my favourite conversations of the campaign. We're talking about green hydrogen, brown hydrogen, grey hydrogen, there's blue hydrogen, okay? At the end of it, I just said, wow, do you get calls all the time from politicians like to to, you know, ask how, how we should do this? And then he's like, no. <laughs> one, one time 
uh, someone from Zali Stegel's office called, the independent for Warringah, one time that called. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I hope that I can campaign and I can win so that I don't have to come up and tell everyone what we should do. I'll just say, listen to this person. Well, I think you've made the first mistake there that is listening to experts, Alex. Uh, <laughs> no one in Parliament <laughs> listens to experts. They always do a report and a review and they put their report somewhere sacred like the bottom drawer or the shredder and never look at it again. Yeah, Yeah. thank you for your time. Good luck with yeah, the rest no of the campaign. And, um, look, we might see you running again in 2025, baby. Uh, well, I think it could be the day after if I was giving birth, like yourself, Jan, the very next day it'd be like, never again. <laughs> but maybe, um, maybe in a few years I'll get politically clucky and um, <laughs> sign myself back up for this absolute roller coaster. Who knows? <laughs> That's the way. Uh, well, thank you very much, team. Good. Keep up the good work. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you after May 21. I might have to go buy a suit. Wow. <laughs> and now we're talking commitment. I don't think I've ever seen you in a suit. <laughs> Damn. This episode of Jan Friend Has Issues is brought to you by Lowe's. And Tara Cash. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to court. He's got a parliament. Jan Fran has issues. Jan, it was so great to talk with Alex there. I really feel like that's a really great example of somebody who cares about climate and is working within their own community to make change. And our next guest, Anjali Sharma, is doing that inside her community, but her community is young people. Uh Anjali, thanks so much for joining us on Jan Fran Has Issues. I can't help but notice that you are in your school uniform. <laughs> I am. Um, I got home about 10 minutes ago, played with the dog, and now I'm here. Did not have time to change, but, you know, the dog got a nice game of fetch, so there we go. I mean, I, I don't I can't imagine the stress you're under, not only year 12, but also taking on the Commonwealth of Australia. Where do you find time <laughs> in your life, Ken, to do this? Like this is, that, is, that is a very big task you've taken upon yourself, Anjali. Oh, look, I mean, <laughs> when you're passionate enough about something, it all fits in, right? Um, I I have one of the one of the things that I value the most is my mother. She always encourages me to just, you know, say stuff you 12 and do the things that I actually care about. I got invited to Sydney for um, a thing that I think you're part of, um, Jen, the some debate thing, and it's the day before my English sack, and my mom was like, oh, just just go, you know, just, just, just go. I was like, no, the day before. But, um, yeah, we find, we find time. <laughs> what a legend doing the complete opposite of what the federal government is doing, which is saying, stay in school, stop <laughs> caring about climate change I so much. I shouldn't have said that. Now I'm giving them more ammo. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I go to school. I'm very much in school. <laughs> Jan, staying in school is a delay tactic for climate. We can't afford to have these kids in school. They've got to be out on the streets. <laughs> That's true. Maybe I should run. Maybe I should run for parliament. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I yeah, mean, hey, girl, I'm not going to stand in your way. That's for sure. This is what we're talking about. This is the kind of action we're talking about. We just spoke with Alex Dyson, who's running in his community of Wannan. And Anjali, you have done something absolutely extraordinary. For people who don't know your story, can you give us a cliff notes, a quick summary of what the last couple of years has been like for you? Yeah, so in 2020, I became the lead litigant in a class action against the federal environment minister, Susan Lee. Um, and basically, it was me and a few of my friends, and we took the federal government to court to argue that they have a duty of care to all Australian children under the age of 18 to protect us from the impacts of climate change. Um, it's 
<laughs> novel case, groundbreaking case, um, because it wasn't argued under environmental law as such, but under like common law, like a duty mm. of care, um, which in my mind seems pretty, you know, like seems pretty straightforward. Yes, she's a politician. She should care about us. Unfortunately, the Federal Court of Appeal did not see it that way. And um, a few months ago, she was found to not have this duty of care. And so that's it. The case is um, shut now. But um, I guess that has been my journey over the last two years. And now I'm just doing um, activism, yelling at the government whenever I whenever I can. Yeah, what a roller coaster of emotions because, as you say, um, Susan Lee was found to actually have a duty of care initially. When What was that moment like for you? And I should say that this was you and I think there was maybe seven seven other um, young people. Every time I use the word young people, I feel very <laughs> old. But you know what? I'm just going to use it. It was you and seven others um, that uh, that took Susan Lee to court and she was found to have a duty of care towards you. When that verdict was handed down, what was that moment like for you? Okay, you'll love this. Um, so mm. when that verdict was handed down, I was not in court. I was not um, fronting the media. I was in my economics class. Um, I was studying for my <laughs> economics test. So there we go. Stuff you federal government. I do stay in school um, sometimes. <laughs> But yeah, so I was in my economics class, admittedly not listening because I did have the federal court live stream up on my laptop. <laughs> did not help Fair. because the amount of legal jargon in these places, like I had no idea what was going on. Did not know that we'd won until about an hour later when the lawyers finally, you know, got on their phones and were like, by the way, you down there in Melbourne, we won. Um, so that's, you know, kind of an hour later, I was like, oh, we won. Um, super, super cool. It was a... It just, knowing that the duty of care could have set a precedent for, I guess, the approval of all um, new fossil fuel projects as part of Susan Lee's portfolio, because it would have required her to take into account the fact that she then could be pursued with further legal action for breaching mm. the duty of care, that would have been monumental in you know the course of Australian law, because it could have stopped her from approving certain really, really big fossil fuel projects. And, um, you know, knowing that that was the case at that point that made me so so hopeful and just so so happy mm. like when I found out I was um I was it was the period after and I was just like told my friends I was like we won we won we won and everybody was so excited because it means so much to us you know like you look at your future and you're like it could it could be so terrible if steps like this aren't taken so it was a huge huge monumental moment Mm. Mm. But then it kind of all, it all turned around. It all sort of like turned around for the worse, really, um, with, as you say, the Court of Appeal rejecting the fact that the, that the Environment Minister had a duty of care to you guys. So then what was that like? What was that crash like? Yeah, well, here's the thing. It happened about, if I remember right, if I remember correctly, it happened about two days after. Like, the she decided to appeal about two days after we won. So I really only got to ride that high of we won for... <laughs> Um, two days. I made the most of it though, that's for sure. I can't say that I didn't. Um, but when I found out that we were being taken back to court, I was honestly disappointed but not surprised. Like when you when it's someone who has that much that much money, that much that many resources at their disposal and they believe that they can overturn the duty of care and then just proceed with approving new fossil fuel projects every second day, then yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, well, Anjali, I'm so sorry because as an Australian taxpayer, I helped defeat you uh, and it feels, <laughs> it feels absolutely <laughs> astonishing. I feel so complicit in this defeat. I, I um, wish there was a way. I, I didn't have concept. to help. Stop paying taxes? I don't know. Is that what, is that what you're getting at? <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Um, I don't think that was necessarily the <laughs> point of that, but yeah. That's what I got from it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make it what you will. But um, yeah, you, Jen, you said that it was, um, it took a turn for the worse. And, you know, while this was, while we were struck down in court, I would argue that there were some really, really amazing things that came of it, which was that at both instances, you know, the trial when she was found to have a duty of care and at the appeal when she wasn't, the federal court and the federal court of appeal um, fully accepted all the climate science that was put to them by our amazing mm-hmm. barristers. Um, even Susan Lee's legal team did not once try and debate the climate science. They did not call any of their expert witnesses onto the stand. They did not cross-examine. Um, mm. The thing that was in question was never the science. So both times, the federal court fully accepted and wrote in their judgments that climate change is an issue. It is a pressing issue. It is an ever-relevant issue. And that could be used in further cases. And I hope that when further cases work out how to argue this duty of care um, in a way that allows the federal court to you know, come to terms with it, that they'll be able to build on that acceptance of this mm. climate science. Mm. How did all of this come about? Mate, like how did how did you decide, right, I'm going to sue the Federal Environment Minister. That's what I'm going to do. How did the idea pop into your head or, or the, the heads of um, the others that did it with you? Uh, honestly, we, we're all, we've all been activists for ages, right? So we all organise um, climate strikes. We still do. Um, you'll see us on the streets every, you know, because we love skipping school, right? So we're just, we're just there. We're, 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 we're out here. <laughs> Um, this is why you're just... so inarticulate and can't string words together. It's because you miss so much school, Anjali. <laughs> oh, God. There we go. There we go. Well, um, yeah, so we... It's like people aren't going to find you smoking behind the shed. No, they're <laughs> no, going to no. find you taking the federal environment minister to court. Yeah, That's different. I mean, yeah, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's, everyone's got their ways. We've all got the common objective, just getting out of school. We just find our mm-hmm. ways to do it, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, so... We were actually um, approached by one of uh, our fellow school strikers who had since graduated from the network and was working at a paralegal, um, working as a paralegal at Equity Generation Lawyers. And um, she was just very fresh out of the activism space. We were, we were all very close and we kind of, um, I guess, came up with this idea together. And then we, you know, with her connections to Equity Generation Lawyers, that's how we got in contact with the lawyers, with the barristers. It was a long process. So many legal documents. Again, I talk about the legal jargon. You just, it's on a different level. Like you just, I got sent these huge documents. I was like, please like point to one word that I've ever used in like my daily life. Like it was, it was crazy. But yeah, again, crazy experience. But Anjali, this speaks to the power that you have as a young person connecting with other young people to do what you think must be done and it speaks to the power of people listening as well to work in their own communities to do the same for sure for sure like if you would if you had told me three years like the case was filed in September 2020 if you told me in like the start of 2020 that I was um you know three years later I was going to be coming home from a day of year 12 and sitting on a podcast with um Jen and Dan um, I would have laughed in your face like I I've always cared about climate change it's very it's a very it's a issue that's very close to my heart because um India the place that I come from is very badly affected by climate change and we're seeing Mm. that right now with horrible heat waves but 
I never thought that I could have this much of an impact. And sometimes I just see my name, you know, pop up on, um, oh, the Monash Law School is running a forum on Sharma and the future of climate litigation. And I'm like, Sharma, Sharma, that, that's me. And it's not just called, <laughs> it's not just called Sharma for the sake of Sharma. It's called Sharma because that's me. Um, it's, it, you know, it never gets, you never get used to it. But everyone has the opportunity to just like use what is, what is available to them and push for change if they care enough. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's such a great message. But I feel as well that there's a lot of disenfranchisement with our oh, political sure. system, particularly by people who, I mean, if you're under the age of, you know, 30 in this country, the only Prime Minister you will have voted for that has served a full term is Scott Morrison, right? <laughs> Isn't that nice? That, that's insane. So I can, I can understand why there would be um, young people who are disenfranchised with the political process. For sure. Um, you've kind of taken it a little bit of a roundabout way and gone through the courts. I mean, where does your faith lie in terms of how we can address climate change as a nation? Like what do you think is the best way to get that done? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, firstly, yeah, I, you're going to have, you're going to be cleaning up the mess, like, you know, <laughs> when the boomers are gone and they're going, it's, it's, uh, it's left going, to you, it's Good. left to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, firstly, you're, you are so right. Like the, the disenfranchisement that I see, like among even my friends is it's on another level. Like, I think that with our current political system, you kind of steer young people down uh, you know, two separate routes. Either they become completely radicalized and they know exactly what they want and they know exactly what matters to them and they push for change or they know what matters to them. Like everyone knows that climate change is an issue. You'll find no one, almost no one around my age who doesn't believe that climate change exists. They just don't know what to do about it, right? Um, I think that for a lot of people in Australia, the thing is that climate change has never affected their lives, right? Like for me currently... I I talk to my family every day and they are suffering through a brutal heat wave and I'm like you know I'm so concerned for some of my cousins my grandma my these people who have raised me and my family from birth and it's so it's such a it's such an issue that's so close to my heart but for some people they've never actually seen climate change impact their daily lives um, but that's becoming less and less prevalent now because we've seen the images coming out of Lismore where people sit on their roofs for hours waiting for the SES to rescue them. We've seen, you know, even though we weren't affected that badly down in Melbourne, we saw the smoke roll in in the twenty uh, in the in the Black Summer bushfires. And so now that we're all seeing people be affected, it's hitting close to home, and that is what's needed, unfortunately, I guess, um, to take real climate action. Like we now know how real of an issue this is we're seeing even like insurance or something I don't know I don't I don't care about insurance right now but apparently prices are going up um yeah it's <laughs> yeah um that's what's needed people need to you know West people need to look at these stories tell these stories see these images and then and then vote based on that yeah, well, that's on that, on voting, obviously. We're, we're going to an election, um, the 21st of May. Um, what do you reckon that people who really care about climate change should be thinking about? If there was one thing you could counsel them to have at the top of their mind before they head to the voting booth, what would it be? Climate change? Um, <laughs> just the whole, just the whole, just the whole thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I think the fact that 
it's really both major parties at this point that are the problem. <laughs> um, I would call it a people-pleasing problem, actually. The fact that they take, both major parties take these huge donations from fossil fuel companies and then they have to carry this baggage. They have the vested interests of fossil fuel companies when they are in the party rooms and when they are making decisions on how to vote. Um they both major parties are taking targets to the next election that aren't backed by science you know that like the science is saying that we need 75 percent emissions reductions targets the liberals have 26 to 28 percent i think by 2030 on 2005 levels which is a very convoluted number yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and liberals have sorry labor has 43 percent it's just you know it's not in line with the science and it's, you know, again, you said it's a convoluted number. Many people won't be able to say that statistic off the top of their heads. And me too, I was a bit, I was a bit rusty. But it's it's so clear to see that when you actually look into it, they don't have the interests of the people at heart, the people in Lismore who have just suffered the most, you know, some of the most terrible moments of their lives and the people um, in Sydney who are bracing for another another um summer like the black summer Mm. um they when they vote they vote with the interests of the fossil fuel companies Mm. and it's just what we need now is people who don't have the interests of fossil fuel companies um when they go to vote Anjali, thank you so much. I feel like as a young person, you're able to crystallise everything so succinctly because you don't come with the years of baggage that people like Jan and I have Excuse me, I group myself among the young people of Australia. I'll have you know, Dan. Oh, Jan, I've got we some news for you. you. With open- <laughs> no, we welcome you with open arms. <laughs> well, thank you, mate, and thank you for doing this chat with us. And, um, you know, thank you for taking it all the way to the courts. And I, I'm sure this is not the last that we'll hear about, we'll hear from you on climate change, and I thoroughly hope it isn't. And look, hey, 2025's around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. know what? You'll be out of high school then. No, yeah. Well, yeah. There we go. No more exams, right? Oh no, uni. Um, I still have exams. Uh, uh, Anjali, yeah. what, ele- what electorate are you in? I'm in Chisholm. All right. I, well, I saw Josh Frydenberg sign while walking home, so he's a bit he's a bit lost. But <laughs> <laughs> right, we need to hit the streets, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, you never know where life takes you. Like again, three years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I was a lead litigant in this case. So um, one thing's for sure, and that's that I'll always be finding opportunities to yell at the government, um, no matter who's in government. Um, and I guess we'll see where that takes me because I know what I know that climate change really, really matters and I'll be making my voice heard on that for a long time to come. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Thanks, so Anjali. Really that, that was so good. A real privilege to chat with you. Yeah, you, you guys too. Thank you. Jan, when I hear people like Anjali, I think, oh, the future is going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah, and when I hear people like Anjali, I think, wow, the past was wasted, at least for me, because <laughs> I was skipping school and smoking behind the shed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was skipping school and going to the movies. I wasted my time. <laughs> I was not suing any minister anywhere, but, man, yeah, what a vibe. Not the last we'll hear from her, I'm sure. Uh, absolutely not. Jan Fran has issues. Well, Jen, you know, we can't make a podcast without sponsors. And as Barack Obama says, which ideals are we going to betray today? Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) we've had to take some money for some pretty dirty actors. At the Australian government, we know that coal-powered electricity plants are running out of time. On one hand, they're old, expensive and make climate change worse every minute they run. 
But on the other hand, the coal industry also provides critical baseload donations to the LNP. So that's why we're launching Coalkeeper. We're spending $7 billion a year to keep coal-powered polluting clunkers running way past their use-by date. That way, the LNP can get more donations from the coal industry to stay way past our use-by date. The government could invest in new wind, solar and storage, but renewable energy is too clean to give us donations. Coalkeeper, a reliable source of donations at the cost of only $400 per household per year. And everyone's existence. It sounds like a bargain, goalkeeper. Yeah. Hey, look, look, it's no LinkedIn, but we're trying, but they're trying at least. <laughs> thank you, government. Thank you, government, indeed. And thank you to all of you wonderful listeners for tuning in to our show this week. That is a wrap. Next week, though, hey, next week is going to be out. The app's going to be out just a few days before the election. So we are going to try and wrap up a couple of these issues and also answer some of your key questions. Because I, I even need questions answered before I head to the booth next week. Um, so that is going to be our show next week. And if you've got questions, hit Jan or I up on social media uh, in our DMs. Well, my DMs. I don't know. Maybe, Jan, do you, do you care if people jump yeah, into your DMs? No, slide Just... into my DMs. Get in there. <laughs> Get right in there. Or hit us up on Irrational Fear. And if you want to send us an audio clip on the Irrational Fear Instagram, do that too. And that way we can play your voice on this podcast. It's like radio. It's like talk back. So do that. Big thank you to FNK Media. Big thank you to the Gadigal people of your nation on whose land Jan and I record. And also big thank you to our Patreon members. So many new Patreon supporters signed up this week. Also, if you are in Sydney on June 4, please come along to the A Rational Fear 10-year anniversary show. We are selling pretty fast. It's already at 60% sold, which is fantastic. Veronica Milsom, Paul McDermott, me, Lewis Hobber, uh, Gabby Bolt, and uh, there's somebody else. Oh, yeah, Mark Humphreys from the television. He will also be joining us as well. June 4 at the Opera House. That's a Rational Fears 10-year anniversary show. And remember to vote rationally. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.